We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. We've had the young guns preaching up till now. Now this morning they've wheeled out the old cannon. (laughs) And the sights on the old cannon aren't so good as they were. So hence Beryl helping me. And I hope I'll be able to read these enormously written notes (laughs) um, clearly. As uh, Phil said, we were part of the... uh, Um, sort of original group if that doesn't make us sound too old Um, but I must say uh, during the course of the uh, preach uh, the screen which uh, Chris um, Kimbangi kindly prepared for me uh, from the notes I'd written um, and uh, I know that I made a few typo errors in there and so if the wrong things don't or if the right things don't appear on the screen, it's all my fault. It's not uh, Diana's, it's not Chris's, uh, or even Beryl's. It's, uh, listen to what Beryl says and you might uh, get the hang of it. But um, in terms of following, if you're following in your Bibles, uh, there are some Bibles available. Uh, put up your hand and one will come to you if you want to follow. And uh, if you haven't got a Bible at home, you're welcome to take the one that comes to you, uh, home with you. And one other uh, small point of introduction, I've got a grandson, my youngest one, uh, whose name is Elijah. He gets called Eli. So if I slip into Eli, you know I'm not talking about Moses' brother-in-law, I'm talking about Elijah. Um, (laughs) But I hope that won't happen too long, too often. So I remember when I was 12 years old, listening to a visiting preacher. Uh, My family attended a small Baptist chapel uh, in Southampton, and we had a visiting preacher, L.R. Davis. Uh, That's all I know of him. I I don't know his first name, but he was a Welshman, and he had a deep voice, and he sung his way through the summits. Well, and he had a riveting voice and he, the way he told the stories, there was a lovely lilt and you grabbed the stories. Now I can remember him preaching. Um, I can see him now in my mind's eye. And when he got to the story of uh, Naboth's vineyard and the way Ahab the king wanted to get that vineyard, it was next door to his palace that he murdered uh, Naboth or he had him murdered, and then he grabbed his vineyard. And I can still feel the tickles down the spine. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself there, but it is story time. So sit back and listen. It's story time for you as well as the kids. So why Elijah? Why have I chosen him as my inspiration? Well, his name for a start, it means Yahweh is my God. And literally, the Hebrew means, uh, I am that I am. It's a personal name. It's the name God wanted to be known uh, as by his people. And that was Elijah's name. And like 
Enoch, a guy we read about in uh, Genesis, Elijah didn't die. Uh, he was taken up to heaven uh, in chariots. Just listen to this. I've got carried away with the story and I haven't got myself ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, I'll press on. No, it's all right, it's here. <laughs> As Elisha and Elijah were walking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Hmm. So when you hear that song sung, at rugby matches or some football matches, um, swing low, sweet high, sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. This is where it came from. It's uh, undeserving of uh, being sung in that way, but uh, it's always great to remember where some of these uh, uh, songs uh, rise from. The black uh, slaves in America used to sing that song to keep their spirits up under the punishing load they had to carry. But I'm explaining why Elijah, uh, my inspiration. If you look into New Testament times, um, some people said to Jesus, well, we think you are John the Baptist, come alive again. And others said, no, Elijah, you're Elijah, come alive again. So Elijah clearly left his mark in Hebrew history. He was quite a character. And yet his whole story is contained just within eight chapters. Uh, 1 Kings 17 um, through 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and then into 2 Kings 1 and 2. So eight chapters, that's the whole of what you hear about uh, Elijah. I'll make one exception later on. But he had left his mark, just eight chapters. And he gets mentioned, though, in one Chronicles, two Chronicles, Malachi, Ezra, all the four Gospels, Romans, and James. So for just eight chapters in the Old Testament, he gets a good broad mention across Scripture. So he is a, uh, an important guy within uh, the Word of God. So, just summarising what I've said so far, he's a man who ticked just like we do. He was not um, anything different. He had like passions as we. And he was a man, though, of outstanding faith. And we'll come to that. And he was a guy, too, who was zealous, in his own words, for the glory of God and even jealous for it. And in fact, those are my three points. So we'll start with the first one. He was a man of like passions. We get that phrase from James 5, uh, verse 7, and that's the, uh, the, the version I prefer. It's uh, AV, authorised version, and uh, it's, he's a man of like passions. He had the same nature. He ticked like you and me. He, there was nothing particularly special about him in the first place. And in the very first chapter, um, we, we read about him, that's 1 Kings 17, right in the first verse, it says, Elijah the Tishbite, and he was standing before the king. 
That's all we have as way of introduction. Um, he comes from apparent obscurity. He comes apparently from nowhere because Tishbe, where the Tishbites lived, it was over on the east side of Jordan, as you look at the map of Palestine, down near the Dead Sea. And it was as good as nowhere because it cut him off from the life of the temple, the life of Jerusalem, uh, the civic life and so on. We have no background except just one point. We do read in Chronicles his father's name was Jehoram. And yet here he is standing in front of the king um, and he, there had already been in the land no rain for six months. And well, we get... Uh, a bit beside ourselves if there's no rain for six days, let alone six weeks. And now this was six months, no rain. He was standing before the king and he said, what's Elijah, this is, said to the king, what's more, there's going to be no more until I say so. Didn't quite put it that way, but that's the sum of what he was saying. And you don't stand in front of a king unintroduced, uninvited, and say this sort of thing and when there had been no rain for six months but there he was um, in front of the king and there were two kingdoms there was uh, Israel in the north ten tribes and Judah in the south two tribes and just as a throwaway it's a good idea to try and get a handle at some point in your Christian walk as to what the two kingdoms were all about how did it come about and what was the effect in the history of the children of Israel. Anyway, I'll leave you with that thought. But there are two kingdoms and Ahab was in Israel and uh, his capital was in Samaria. And he had an awful wife. I mean, the scriptures say she was evil. Um, and that's pretty strong. And uh, just listen to this. Ahab becomes king of Israel. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So, pretty nasty piece of work. Uh, not a man who followed God in any manner at all. He had forsaken the God of Israel, and he had gone after Baal um, and Asherah, um, two idols of the time. It was an awful time in their history as a people. There was evil and license uh, on hand everywhere. And uh, it sort of uh, reminds us of some of our times we live in, I guess. But there he was standing before the king, no introduction, saying all these things. And you don't say that sort of thing to a king like Ahab. Your life is on the line if you do. Um, and yet he appeared 
to be a no one. He appeared to come from nowhere. Uh, do you sometimes feel uh, a nobody from nowhere and with no preparation for what God is about to give you to do, as perhaps uh, Elijah might have felt? But God uses people from all backgrounds. No one is excluded. He can use whatever we're willing to give him, as the boy with the five loaves found out when he gave them to Jesus. But uh, Elijah is standing there and he says, as part of his uh, speech to uh, Ahab, uh, as the Lord God of Israel uh, lives before whom I stand, and then he said his piece about the rain not coming until he says so. So he was saying, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. And they were living as though God didn't live. And he was saying, the God of Israel lives and it's in his name that I come to you and I come to you in his authority. He exists. He's a God who deserves, requires our worship and our honour. And I've come in his authority. I'm going to jump the story quite quickly now because after that, God said, go and hide in the uh, Kerith ravine. Um, and the, there was a stream there and the ravens will come and feed you with bread every, twice every day. So he went there and he was there some time. And then when the stream died, uh, dried up, because there was no rain, of course, um, he then went down, uh, went across to the west coast to Zarephath, and he met a widow there outside the city, and she was collecting some sticks to light a fire, bake a cake, drink the water, and give some to her son, the bread and the um, water, and then they were going to die because that was all they had left. And... Elijah came along and had the audacity to say, give me, please give me something to drink. And uh, then he said, well, please make me a cake first and then give me something to drink. And she explained her lot. And he said, never mind, do as I asked. And your water jar, your um, wheat jar and your oil will not run out until the rain comes. And that's indeed what happened. But there was a hiccup on the way because her son died. He brought him back to life. You can read about that in chapter 18. And the woman said initially to him, um, what are you doing here, man of God, coming to reveal my sin and to kill my son? But later, after he had brought the son back to life, she said, now that I know that you're a man of God, and the word of God in your mouth is the truth. And so she was able to come from a place of doubt to a place of knowing. And we want to do that with our walk in faith in Jesus Christ. And say with Paul, as he said to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. But then just after that, God said this was almost three years up now, so it's three and a half uh, years of no rain. Um, and uh, it's pretty desperate by this time. And he said, go and present yourself to Ahab. 
well, that's not a good idea, is it? If, if you've told him that there's going to be no rain for a long while and uh, you still haven't said anything about rain, your life is still uh, in the balance. But he went to uh, the king, but on the way um, he met Obadiah, not the one who wrote the book in the Old Testament. He said another prophet or another man of God uh, living at that time. And he was head of Ahab's household. And he said to Obadiah, um, go and tell the king that I want to see him. And Obadiah said, gosh, are you crazy? If I go and tell him that, he'll say, well, why didn't you bring him here? Every time I try and get him, he's elusive and he's gone. Why didn't you bring him here? I'll have your life instead of his. But anyway, Elijah said to Obadiah, look, I'm going to see him today anyway, but it would be nice if you told him that I was coming. Anyway, he went away. He told Ahab, Ahab uh, saw Elijah, and his first words was, oh, you troubler of Israel, if you come again. And So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. <clears throat> you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel mm. and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he's an outstanding man of faith. We come to my second point. And here he's challenging Ahab, come to Carmel, the Mount Carmel, uh, up near um, the northwestern corner of uh, uh, the Israel um, country at that time. And uh, it will have a contest uh, on Mount Carmel. And uh, I mean, it's a, an outstanding example of a man going out on a limb. Um, I know several people who I have respect and regard for who go out on a limb uh, and either God does something and draws back or rescues them or they're down. And uh, here, Elijah was putting himself in that position. Uh, he had experienced um, what he might have regarded as small faith. I would have settled for many of them. Uh, I mean, healing the, bringing the son back to life and the widow's uh, jars not running out um, and the ravens feeding him twice a day until the brook dried up. I mean, these are a marvelous acts of faith, but here on Carmel, he's right out on a limb. And I, I think the faith aspect of, that I'm going to emphasize now has been a, a theme coming through the stories. I think we've heard Sunday by Sunday, we've heard about Daniel and Esther and Abraham and Hannah and many more, David, I think. Um, and here we are with Elijah this morning. And um, I think the faith aspect is uh, coming through in these stories. And I wonder whether you remember when Guy Miller was standing here, um, 31st of March this year. It wasn't part of this series. He opened the Beatitude series, do you remember? And during the course of his preaching, I did wonder whether the 
elders were awakened uh, listening on that day. Always. <laughs> uh, because um, always, uh, yes, except, <laughs> except when you're asleep and you don't know it. Um, but um, I'm sure they won't. Uh, but uh, Guy Miller said, uh, just slipped it into, didn't make a great point of it at all, but he made a reference to Centrepoint having its own building. And I leapt onto that and I thought, well, we haven't heard that for a while. And then I wondered, and I spoke to Chris, and I've, uh, I've, uh, have his okay this morning. You know, I've explained what I was going to say. And... Um, I wonder whether you and I have got faith for that. I wonder, as a church, do we have faith that one day we might have our own building? And if so, where? Will it be big enough? Will there be car park? Will there be... <laughs> but have we got faith for such things? And I remember in the early days, I say this against myself, uh, there were uh, prophecies of large numbers and that we would grow one day to hundreds. Well, 200 would be plural, and I'd be settling for that at the moment. But have we got faith for these things? We, we had these uh, prophecies, and I, as I say, I brought some myself along these lines, but we haven't heard them lately. Where is our faith? What's God saying to us as a church? Are we going to be here um, for a long time? Um, are we going to be settling well where and have we got faith um, and are we pressing on with God expecting him um, to lead us uh, our testimony has always been that in life's big issues of um, when I say life's big issues where we live and what jobs we both did during our careers um, he always uh, brought us to the right place at the right time and the, haven't got time to go into it, but his timing uh, was always uh, perfect. Uh, I read this on holiday. Faith is not belief based on an absence of evidence, but belief based on the testimony of someone who is reliable, God. It can't be worked up mm. like the ability to play the piano, but it is a gift. Hmm. It says in Hebrews that uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. And that's faith. That's faith. And the gift um, that he's spoken of there is a gift right in the first place. It says also in that same chapter that uh, if anyone uh, wants to draw near to God, uh, they must first believe that he exists. And that's the starting point. That's the gifting that the Holy Spirit brings at the point of our receiving uh, Christ as Saviour. But back to Carmel. Elijah thought he was on his own. He thought it was 850, the 400 plus the 450 um, that Beryl uh, read out to us, that's 850. And Elijah thought it was 850 verses 1. Later on, the Lord makes it clear um, that he had preserved 7,000 others unknown to Elijah uh, who had never bowed the knee to Baal. And then there were 100, which Obadiah, which I didn't mention just now, had um, secretly hidden 100 prophets 
in two caves, 50 in one, 50 in the other. And then there was Obadiah and Elijah, of course. So it was really 850 versus 7,102. Um, but in fact, it was a no contest in the first place because Baal and Asherah were idols. And God hates idolatry. He detests it. And the Bible uses strong language when it comes to it. And um, he was challenging them on Carmel. And this was his challenge. How long will you hope between two opinions? If the Lord is Lord, if the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is the Lord, serve him. So there was silence. They didn't reply. The people made no answer. And then Elijah said, the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And so what he did was to prepare sacrifices and he allowed the Baal prophets, Baal and Asherah, to choose the bull they wanted out of the two that uh, Elijah had provided. And they chose their fuel for the fire and the only rule was they were not to put a match to it or a flint or whatever they would have done in those days. They weren't to set fire to it. So he allowed them to go first and it was their turn. And the, the king and all the people were amassed on this Mount Carmel. This was no hole in the corner job. This was public and the king was there and Elijah was on the line. Um, they danced, they worshipped their God, they cried out to him. But idols, I mean, you don't have to read very much about idols before the Bible is saying they're dead, they're man-made, they can't hear, they can't eat, uh, they can't see, they don't breathe. I mean, they're dead. You made them. So you're greater than they are. So what are you worshipping them for? And that, that is the point. And uh, they self-wounded themselves. They cut and, well, nothing happened right the way through to lunchtime. In fact, Elijah, he taunts them, say, oh, come on, shout louder. Perhaps he's gone to sleep. Come on, shout louder. He hasn't heard you yet. He might be relieving himself, one uh, version puts it. So come on, where is he? But nothing happened. And then it was Elijah's turn. And firstly, he says to them, all, come closer. Sort of thing I should be saying today, I think. <laughs> come closer. He wanted them to see the action. You might have noticed that Beryl and I always like to be somewhere near the front. Um, I, yes, it is to do with sight and it is to do with hearing. But I, we've always had that habit we, um, from uh, all that was going on in the 60s, 70s. Get near the front and see the action. You, 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 you feel involved, you feel part. I know there are very good reasons why some of you are at the back. Um, but uh, if, if it rings a bell with anyone, come closer, uh, Elijah said, come closer. 
And uh, he, first thing he does is to rebuild the altar because they danced all over it. The, they knocked it about and it was falling apart. And uh, he rebuilt it. And I think that was an act of worship. And one of the essential things to notice in the text is he rebuilt it with 12 stones, one for each tribe. So in the presence of the king, he's making the point that the kingdom is 12 tribes, not 10 and two in the south. It's 12. We're a unified uh, nation under God. Um, and then he built a trench around the altar. And then he got some water jars and he said to the people, pour water over it. Well, if you're going to be praying for <laughs> a fire, is that the sort of thing to do? And he's, he, they poured the water over once. And he said, do it again. And they did it again. And then he said, do it again. And the trench uh, was uh, full of water, full of water. And then Elijah prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God hmm. and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. I love that verse, and the fire fell. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to be there? And just see this and experience the very presence of God. And it wasn't just the wood that burned. It was the stones and the soil and the water was licked up and everything had burnt. And the people burst out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then comes a bit which we don't like. Elijah and a lot of the guys went off and chased the prophets of Baal. They started running and he said, after them, kill them all. Now, why is that there? Why is that? You might think, oh gosh, that's a jarring note in a good story. Why did God do that? But God's hatred of idolatry is intense and he wanted to deal in the way that was right and proper for him at that time. You see, it was the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And they had been generation after generation after generation breaking that commandment and worshipping foreign gods. And it was the first commandment. And Jesus, he endorsed that in his teaching when he said, it's the first and greatest commandment. And we, we need to take note, therefore, if there's anything which is coming between us and God, beware. Beware. Where do we spend our time, our money, our energies? If anything is coming between you and God, beware. Take note and uh, do something about it. And then Elijah prays again, this time 
uh, I think it must have been quietly to himself uh, about the rain because now the people said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And they were meaning it. They had seen the very presence of God and what that presence can bring about. And they were now realizing the enormity of the sin that they had previously committed. And so Elijah prays and he sends his servant. He says, go and take a look. Uh, why it needed the servant, I don't know. But he said, go and see if you can see any clouds. And he came back and reported, yes, I see a cloud. The first cloud for three and a half years. And uh, he then turns to Ahab, who must have been sort of mouth open and wondering what to do next. And as a king, I've never been in this position before. Am I embarrassed? Am I amazed? What do I do? I can't imagine what he would have been thinking. But uh, Elijah said, um, hitch up your chariot and get off back home, which was about 20-ish miles away. Uh, something like that, looking at the maps. Um, and uh, so he sent him off before his chariot got bogged down in the mud. Uh, very thoughtful of him. <laughs> but then the last verse in chapter uh, 18, I think it is, if it's not 18, it's 19, um, of 1 Kings, there's a lovely little piece. I mean, these pieces of detail are lovely in Scripture. Um, uh, Elijah hitched up his uh, outer garment, which we're told elsewhere was a hairy garment, <laughs> um, full-length outer cloak. He hitched it up into his leather belt. We're also told it was leather. He must have been looking a bit like John the Baptist, I think, um, and uh, a bit unshevelled, I expect. Um, but then he outran Ahab in his chariot back to Jerusalem. I mean, gosh, that must have been some PB, personal best, mustn't it? Uh, hitched up uh, hairy uh, cloaks, not like the people go out doing serious running these days. Um, but anyway, Ahab got back there and he told Jezebel everything. Remember, the scriptures said she was evil and she was livid. And not only did Elijah win, but he killed all the other prophets. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Yeah. Uh, hearing that, Elijah ran. He ran and he ran and he ran. He got way down into Israel, uh, into Judah territory down the south. Now, to do that from where Carmel is, that's 80 miles or so. I don't know how long it took. Uh, we're not told all those details. And then when he got there, he also did another day's run and he collapsed underneath a broom tree, we're told. And he was exhausted and he was absolutely shattered. Remember this time he's running because he's dead scared of Jezebel. He just, she was going to have his head by this time tomorrow. So he just ran. He was running scared. Now, I mean, he had this enormous victory on Carmel. I mean, he must have been a man of faith and stature, and yet he ran. I mean, God had preserved him before at Kerith from Ahab, um, but now he's running. And uh, he 
under this broom tree, exhausted, and uh, an angel feeds him twice during the night um, with uh, cakes baked on hot stones. Must have been another miracle in itself. Um, and then strengthened, off he went for another 40 days, and eventually, so he's come all the way down, I'm looking at the map my way, you'll have to imagine it. He ran all the way down here. Now he's running 40 days and nights this way, and he reaches Sinai, the same mountain as Moses uh, took the uh, commandments on. And again, exhausted, he went into a cave. And after all that running, all that exhaustion, all that feeding uh, by angel during the night, he collapsed in his cave, only to have the Lord say, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> and the Lord said, go outside. I'm going to pass by. And there was an enormous storm, a huge wind, but he didn't see God in the wind. Then there was a mighty earthquake, but he didn't see God in the earthquake. And then there was fire. He wasn't there. But then there was a whisper. And the whisper was the same. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he gave the same reply as he gave before. Well, I'm the only one left. And now they're after me. And they're going to kill me. All right. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. So how did the Lord answer his own question? What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, go back the way you came. And if we're in a position where we're puzzled about something or we've got broken relationships or just something going wrong in our lives, is the word of God to you this morning, go back the way you came. In other words, go back and repair those relationships that have somehow got out of kilter. Do you need to forgive someone? Do you need to help someone who you felt had hindered you in some way? How do we go back and rebuild relationships um, and to offer forgiveness? And over and above giving him that instruction, he said, there are three things I want you to do too. I want you to anoint Hazel, king of Aram, that's modern-day Syria. And I want you to appoint Jehu, the king of Israel. And I want you to go and find Elisha. He's going to be your successor. So Elisha, if you get muddled with Elijah and Elisha put them in alphabetical order, the J came first. That's the way I try and remember. Um, and uh, we come now to the third and final point. Um, and... Uh, Elijah was a man who was zealous, even jealous for the glory of God. He would have seen much of the glory of God 
um, he, he would have uh, seen this at uh, the Zarephath uh, widow um, and the Kerith, um, and especially on Carmel. And then it, all his dealings with the king, he would have seen the glory of God. Um, and we want to uh, remind ourselves that God had chosen the people of Israel because he loved them. He didn't choose them to be his people because they were numerous or because they were righteous. He just chose them to be a people through whom he would work to show to the rest of the world how God wanted to relate to his people. God was a God who wanted to be and he still wants to be known and he wants fellowship and he wants intimacy with us. And so uh, you read in uh, Deuteronomy 7 to 7 um, that why do I why did I choose you? And basically, if you unwrap all the words, it says, I chose you because I love you. And I love you because I chose you. <laughs> so a circular argument. But that's God's description of how he came to choose his people. And so um, we see Elijah, if we had time to get through the story, he selects uh, or anoints uh, Elisha as his successor. And Elisha does absolutely similar things. I mean, it's a love. We need another series, uh, uh, Elder's Note, on, uh, uh, to cover Elisha. And, uh, uh, but however, Elisha, um, he follows Elijah almost as quickly as Peter, James, John, and all the rest followed Jesus. He anointed him as his successor. He was ploughing at the time. He burnt the plough, a um, wooden frame, um, uh, made a sacrifice, said cheerio to his family, and he was off. Um, but then, uh, a few short chapters later, we're now in two kings, um, they were walking together one day, and uh, Elijah said to Elisha, um, I'm leaving you today. And Elisha said, yes, I know. Um, and then he said to Elisha, well, you stay here and I'll go. No, I'm not leaving you. I'm coming with you. And he said that three times. No, I, uh, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come. It sounds a bit like Ruth last week, doesn't it? You know, to Naomi, I, where you go, I'll go. And I, your God will be my God. And uh, Elisha, he got a double blessing of what uh, Elijah had. Um, but it wasn't the last time when Elijah went up in the chariots. Uh, I mean, if that, could you imagine being there like Elisha was? It must have been fantastic. Uh, a chariot came down out of heaven with fire and came down, took Elijah and Elisha saw him no more. We read. Beryl, you read the. Oh, um, yes. I uh, read that earlier. Already read that. But we come to the point now where um, that's not the last time we hear of Elijah um, in the Bible. And I'm not talking about 
just some reference by James to James' life, but to Elijah's life, but I'm talking about uh, the actual living presence of Elijah. So, Beryl, you read to us a piece from the New Testament about the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. The transfiguration, I think, is there as a visual um, aid to us to understand the Old Testament. The Moses was there to represent the law at the transfiguration, and uh, Elijah was there to represent the prophets. And Jesus, we're told, came to fulfill all the law and all the prophets. So there he was with the two examples of the law and the prophets, and he had come to fulfill all the promises throughout the Old Testament about Jesus and his coming. Um, It's sometimes said of the Old Testament, it's Christ is concealed in the Old Testament. The New Testament is Christ revealed. So here you see the transfiguration. I think it's that visual aid to show that Christ is fulfilling at the law and the prophets and the whole purpose of all the history, all the thrilling stories in the Old Testament is that Christ came. And why did Christ come? Well, I think as the angels looked down and saw the transfiguration, I think they began to understand uh, the answers to some of the questions they might have had. Well, why does he need to go and leave heaven, leave the glory of heaven? Why? I think we are, the New Testament gives us clues that this might have gone on. Then uh, why did he have to go? And then they saw Moses and Elijah and then Jesus. But the father said, this is my beloved son whom I love. Now, he'd said that before at the baptism of Jesus uh, in front of John the Baptist. But here he was saying again, but he added an extra thing. Listen to him. You've heard Moses. You've heard the prophets. Now, my son, listen to him. And we want to be sure that we're listening to him this morning. Yes. (laughs) Yes. we come to a, the response of Fraser, perhaps you would like to come up again. Um, I hope that you'll take away from this a real love for the Old Testament stories. They sometimes take some digging out. There are often chunks of history all intermeshed with the story. But I hope you'll fall in love with some of these stories we've been reading. They do give you a better understanding when you come to the New Testament. We have a bit of 
the Old Testament background and it really does feed our faith and we want to be people who um, don't feel nobody is from nowhere but God uses all backgrounds. He can use you, he can use me. Um, and then we want to be people of outstanding faith. And we get there by being faithful in the small things and we find, yes, God did answer my prayer or did, God did do so and so. And it builds faith for the next time. And then we want to know the glory of God. We want to know the glory of God. And one day we're going to be with him, we're going to be seeing him and we shall see him as he is and the glory which is in the transfiguration the brilliance the light of Christ and the light in heaven is going to be God himself and then can I remind you of those two things that um, God said to Elijah and do they apply to anyone here this morning what are you doing here and he would add your name what are you doing here Alan and then go back the way you came. Is that the word of God to you this morning? Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.